ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the We Only Do One Take podcast, Conspiracy Theory Episodes. It's the only podcast on earth that's actually less crazy than the uh, videos that we actually watch. I am Turch and with me is my co-host, the CEO of the podcast. It's Kieran. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. Very, very well. Good yeah. to be here. Good to be back talking conspiracy theories. Oh, we do have a new one. I feel like we start all these conspiracy theory videos. We never finish them. I don't think we're going to do the fall of the cabal for a while because I think that one there is going to get too heavy. But this is a good one. But we have a very special guest on the show with us who's been wanting to do some conspiracy theory stuff with us for a while. Traj from episode 16, I think it was, something yeah. like that. Welcome back to the show after all Thank this you. time. It's been so fun. We've been trying to do it for ages, but I think the last episode we had, we talked about piss driblets. Mm-hmm. And Kieran, Kieran dropped one on me. That's right. Yeah. I dropped a what on you? Better. You dropped wine on me. Oh, that sounds well. That sounds very plausible. If it yeah. makes you feel any better, he's already dropped wine or coke or something on my carpet here in the new house. So <laughs> he's he's done it all. He's done it all. But we well, are out of the garage. Just uh, just for old times. <laughs> but we are out of the garage. That's the most important part of the the new setup. We're actually in a <laughs> a room that's got much better acoustics than a garage stepping up um so today on the agenda is another spirit science video i'm very sorry everyone that we keep chopping and changing but we thought with with trash here we'll start one new start one that's fresh and this one is about the planet niburu now, if anyone doesn't know, I love conspiracy stuff. I've been following it for far too long. But Planet Nibiru is about the creation of the planet Earth. And it's focusing on about how another planet that's sort of in our solar system and sort of in the Earth's orbit and all the other planets' orbits, like far further out than Pluto is, how that's actually connected up. And you'll find out apparently it's done some funny things to the Earth, but not... But we all know uh, if it's part of the Zachariah Sitchin type situation, we all know that it's not real because he was not a scholar and uh, astrologist or anything like that. He was just a journalist that decided to write a bunch of books, which is the important part of the story. But we've got another video today about Nibiru from Spirit Science. Is everyone ready to go? Ready to rock and roll. (laughs) Let me add the video to the stream and we'll get it going. If you need to need to pause it at any time, just let me know. We'll pause it and discuss whatever you want. So this is a planet. Welcome by the way, while we're waiting for this delay, the movie. What you're- yeah, oh. that I have never heard of, of before. Oh, look, it's only for the secret secret elite. Hmm. It's almost as if, as if it doesn't exist. <laughs> that might be the case, but we we shall learn today. Change my mind. Change my mind, Nibiru. What you're about to see is a fusion of the first three parts of the Sumerian epic, with a few extra minutes of never-before-seen footage as well. While the Sumerian epic is not finished, this collection here serves as a foundation for everything that follows, and we felt that putting it together in this movie would make it easier to take in the story and theories without having to go through multiple videos. 
As a final note, this entire video you're about to watch was actually made by a very small team. And we're working hard to continue making lots more like this for you to enjoy. I, I don't care how small your team is. If you're putting out bullshit, you're still putting out bullshit with a small team. <laughs> so if you like this video and you want to bring some fresh, loving energy into your life, please head over to our spirit shop and check out Patch Tarot, The Book of Patch, and The Book of Spirit. We've got some other really cool stuff on there too, and everything is made by us. Our is goal is to build a team that allows us to continue making these kind of videos non-stop. And it's thanks to your amazing support that we're able to share this with you now. So thank you again so much, and please have a beautiful experience watching Nibiru, <laughs> the secret origins of our world. I really want the cloth. <laughs> So I should have cut that. <laughs> On the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> In order to talk about the nature of the universe and to discuss questions such as whether it has a beginning or an end, you that have to be clear about what a scientific theory is. I shall take the simple-minded view that a theory is just the model of the universe, or a restricted part of it, and a set of rules that relate quantities in the model to observations that we make. It exists only in our minds and does not have any other reality, whatever that might mean. A theory is a good theory if it satisfies two requirements. It must accurately describe a large I like how we're about to hear a real load of bunch of bullshit and trying to make it even <laughs> slightly valid. They're like, let's shove yeah. a Stephen Hawking quote at the beginning. <laughs> and you know what? They could have made it even more authentic by using his voice. His yeah, or like, or like <laughs> the default Winkler's voice. <sighs> Class of observations on the basis of a model that contains only a few arbitrary elements and it must make definite predictions about the results of future observations. When the late Professor Stephen Hawking wrote that, of course he is referring to a scientific theory which pertains to the laws of physics, chemistry, biology, or any other natural process of the universe. A historical theory, on the other hand, is defined as a concept with several uses. Often, researchers will provide a theory about historical events and connections, an orderly preconceived impression of the phenomenon to be studied. Used in this way, theory means the same as hypothesis. So what you are about to witness is just that, a historical just theory, wrong. a just hypothesis wrong. about the way in which human really history is made. A theory, a theory, wrong. A theory is a, is a bunch of supported hypotheses make a theory. <laughs> I like it. Like, the theories are... <laughs> oh, straight off the bat, oh, it could be true. And then they show a bunch of Sumerians coming off an, an alien spacecraft. I've <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> unfolded. It's a theory about where we've come from and even where we might go. This information does not just 
come unjustified and out of nowhere, but is based on countless hours of research, translation, interpretation, and discussion among historians, archaeologists, linguists, anthropologists, and even planetary scientists. We'll be referencing scientific articles and discoveries throughout this feature, which will be sourced on screen at the moment of the claim, with a little one of these. We've also put a link to all of our sources in the author comments, as well as in the end credits, just in case you missed them. As Professor Hawking wrote, this theory we are presenting ultimately exists entirely within our minds. What we do with this theory, with these ideas, it's imaginary. the story is entirely... <laughs> he just confirmed that it's all made up. <laughs> it only exists within our minds. Entirely up to each of us individually. Take it with a grain of Himalayan rock salt, or a dash of pepper if you prefer. Just remember, have your own experience, and make it a great one. Sumerian epic and Nibiru, the secret origins of the world. The year is 1847. A young archaeologist named Austin Henry Layard was Indiana Jonesing his way around ancient Mesopotamian ruins where he properly identified and henceforth discovered the ancient Assyrian city-state of Nineveh in an area now known as Iraq. In an absolutely incredible discovery, he found 22,000 clay tablets hidden in the depths of the city. These tablets contained cuneiform, which today is one of, if not the earliest known writing systems known to man, created by the Sumerians 6,000 years ago. I'm not going to lie, that just, Over the um, years, it just looks more like gibberish. Ancient historic yeah, all language other than your own language that you understand in gibberish. Historical <laughs> cities were found and excavated. Many of the world's museums now count among their prize exhibits the ceremonial gates, winged bulls, chariots, tools, utensils, jewelry, statues, and other objects that have been dug out of the mounds that are Assyria and Babylon. But the true treasures of these kingdoms were their written records. Since the time of that discovery, we have believed that the first true civilization in all of humanity arose in Mesopotamian Sumer, located in present-day Iraq around 6,000 years ago. This is now being challenged by the discovery of Gobekli Tepe, a far older site dating back nearly 11,000 years. However, this is a conversation we're going to save for a little later on. Now, Sumer translates to land of the civilized kings, and their culture exploded onto the scene virtually overnight, becoming the cradle of human civilization. 
Allow me a moment to be clear that while the general consensus is that... I reckon this guy, like, historians will probably go, oh, this came up, like, overnight. And they don't literally mean, like, overnight. They mean very quickly, like, over maybe the space of 10, 15, 20 years. I bet you this guy actually believes that they popped up, like, like instant. Remember that other video we were watching, how Thoth, the god, instantly created the pyramids from top to bottom? That was a real thing that happened, trash. Apparently, uh, I think this is what this happened over like twelve thousand years or something. Sumer is the oldest civilization. This is not to suggest that we don't see signs of civilization popping up in other places across the world in and around the same time period. And really, it all depends on how we want to define the word civilization. We see signs of agriculture across Mesopotamia, Egypt, India, and even Mesoamerica thousands of years prior to the rise of the Sumerian and adjacent civilizations. So the reason that we're focusing on the Sumerians today is because of the vast amount of information we have available about these people. And further, because most of their religious stories have played a rather substantial role in establishing some of the world's largest religions today. Going through our research has led us to find a wealth of connections between many of the ancient cultures of the world. So while our focus is primarily on the Sumerians, at least at first, we will also naturally branch out and explore other ancient civilizations throughout this presentation when they become relevant to the conversation. Tetch, uh, Looking into pause the artifacts of Sumer is quite... <laughs> yes. Hi, just uh, welcome to the We Only Do One Take podcast. We're going to start off by talking about a rant and we might branch into a few different areas of, of things that are interesting. Uh, following that, we're going to bring in a news article that Church has found and we're going to discuss that in many, many details, followed by Kieran's news article. Um, after that, we're going to banter for a little while and then we're going to move on. I don't give a we fuck. Have Get a, to the point. We might, yeah, we might have a tangent or two. But we're, that's basically the structure we're going to follow. Oh, <laughs> how long has this been? Seven minutes. He said absolutely nothing except buy our merch. This, <laughs> this is the this is the Jake Paul of conspiracy theorists. <laughs> Interesting, as they host a long list of archaeological firsts for the human race. Among these finds are the first schools, the first historians, the first methods of writing the first library, the first doctors and pharmacopoeia, the first agriculture and farmer's almanac, the first musical notation, the first bicameral legislature, and the first taxes. The Sumerian oh. legal code also... Hey, they we started it. They <laughs> started it. They started it. <laughs> ...included protection for divorced women, as well as price controls on foodstuffs and wagon rentals. We also see the invention of the wheel, the chariot, the sailboat, and the plow. They also invented our standard measurement of time. The concept of 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes. Do you remember how they said we would give you evidence to support all this stuff in the corner? They're yeah, saying, because they've got <laughs> scientific theories and stuff, yes. Yeah, yeah. They said we'll put it in this corner at the top here where the powered by steam yard is saying they've just said, oh, they invented like our time and taxes and all that sort of stuff. There's been no evidence <laughs> in the corner there. I'm waiting for that one. I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to accept the weakest evidence of them all, news articles. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> this is nothing. It's been absolutely nothing. It's in an hour and the 12 to 24 hour clock all started with the Sumerians. They also developed the first astronomical and astrological systems, the first maps and cartography, and the first mathematics. Oh, they also seemed to have invented beer, with archaeologists finding a 3,900-year-old Sumerian poem honoring Ninkasi, the goddess of brewing, which also contains the oldest surviving beer recipe. Well, that's it. That that finally found we found our god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All oh, these years great, to the great brewer. Do you believe in God now, Kieran? <laughs> I believe in the great brewer. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Same one that has beer created taxes. <laughs> Why are beers so expensive? <laughs> That's a whole different Bloody podcast. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately. You put all of this together and you get the first urban civilization in history. The most significant discovery out of all of this, however, was finding that their religion and belief system influenced all of those that followed. Where even today we find the Sumerian creation epic filtered through the ages and into the Old Testament, making the Sumerian legends appear to be the source code of many of the world's religions today. One example of this can be found with the epics of Gilgamesh, Ziosudra, and Atrahasis. Each of them ancient poetic stories, essentially describing the flood of the Old Testament, yet transcribed long before Noah was ever written down. The cuneiform tablets of Sumer contain inscriptions of a tremendous magnitude, encompassing cosmological tales, epic poems, histories of kings, temple records, commercial contracts, marriage and divorce records, astronomical tables, astrological forecasts. Imagine having your divorce records put in stone and then <laughs> 5,000 years later, <laughs> a guy goes, raids a temple and finds it and it's like, hey, look at this guy. <laughs> How much of this do you reckon though, Church, is these stones... These stones that he's throwing up is just look. I was a kid once. I had stones. I had a chisel. I made fucking things. <laughs> marks. They hope for the best, and it just happened to be a language, you know. And then a thousand years later, someone comes and finds my like stone cutting thingamajigs <laughs> and go, "Oh, what a what a language they had back then." Like they're just they're just arrows and dots. It's like <laughs> like the to house. <laughs> Uh, yes, that's right, Daniel. If the brewer is God, then the liquor authority is the Antichrist. The Antichrist. Uh. Lists, grammar and vocabulary school texts, and not least of all, texts dealing with the names, genealogies, epithets, deeds, powers, and duties of the gods. And duties. Now, it's important to know that if we're discussing these Sumerian records, the truth is, there's a lot of different writings and tellings available from a number of generations in time. You had the Sumerians, the original civilization, which then spread and developed into the Akkadians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and eventually the Chaldeans. These tablets that we are referencing were generally written between 2700 
1600 BCE, and it appears many were translated down or culturally retelling the common era. stories. Well Among done, all yeah. of the tablets of Sumer that have been dug up, there are a wide number of variations and tellings of these ancient stories, which describe the mythological deities who created the world and the people who live upon it. It can actually be very confusing to learn about these deities because there are a number of contradictions between the tellings due to how many cultures adopted the stories and fit them to their needs. Ancient History Encyclopedia writes, All of these seeming contradictions stem from Mesopotamia's long history and the different cultures which adopted the Sumerian gods and made them their own with additions and alterations to their stories. Sometimes these changes expand upon or continue older stories, but often different scribes in various eras simply rewrote the tales to suit their purposes. Now, in our recently published book, the I'm really excited to hear their take on Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter was actually a Sumerian text and, and J.K. Rowling oh. just rewrote it for a modern well, audience. Is that, is that really what they think? I don't know, but I, I feel like you could, from what he's just said there, you could easily interpret it in that way. I, I just love it. I just love it the, at the end there. it's Yeah, but they rewrote it to suit their purposes. So if I'm trying to become it's king fiction. and have everyone follow me, yeah, I'll, yeah, okay, I'll I'll change it. Was it King King George or whatever it was? He's the one that in the Bible he like slayed dragons and stuff like that. Hey, hey, it's like back oh, then, back then. I'm. We know that they've had beer. We know that they're they're yeah. on the beers. Yeah. And when you're on the beers, you get a little bit more creative in your storytelling. That's true. That's true. It's like all those um. We got like um, uh, South American, North American Indians, and they smoke smoke peyote and all those sort of hallucinogenics in like the African countries do the hallucinogenics and stuff like that. So they could be on, they could be talking about anything that they wanted. That was part of their culture. What a what a yeah. time to be alive! Just had to write it. We sp <laughs> spend some time discussing the variations of what these ancient cultures could have meant by their description of. The gods. Generally, they are interpreted in one of several ways. The most socially acceptable interpretation today <laughs> is generally that these gods are forces of nature or aspects of life, like night and day, birth and death, or the sun and the moon. Often, there are also specific times when the Sumerians reference planets or constellations, such as Jupiter or Mercury, or even the Pleiades which, for the record, was one of the most significant and worshipped star clusters across all of Sumer. However, and generally the least accepted theory in modern academia, is that these gods represented actual physical beings called the Anunnaki. So, uh, Anunnaki, they're saying that. I've watched so much ancient aliens, and they always refer back to this Anunnaki type thing. And apparently, yeah. it, this is a real alien, apparently, according to ancient uh, alien theorists and see that uh, thing on his wrist. Apparently, that's a watch. <laughs> <laughs> Is it an Apple Watch? I, I don't know. <laughs> Why does he have a pine cone? I don't know. We, I'm, let's maybe we can find out. Uh... Supposedly from the planet Nibiru, <laughs> who were far more technologically advanced than we were and who were involved in the creation of the human race. This idea has become very popular since the story first came out in the 1970s, 
and especially in the last 10 years or so, thanks to the internet and a growing interest in these subjects. In order to identify if there's any substantiated evidence to these claims, we're going to begin by looking at the Sumerian creation epic. Now, this rendition of the story is very simple because we don't actually have a lot of information to work with. This is because many of the tablets were broken with time. So we'll just make it up? <laughs> we'll just fill in the blank for whatever we want. Oh, sorry. Yeah. He says that everything was lost over time. Yeah. We don't have a lot of information. We're just to fill the gaps. Yeah. <laughs> just fill it with other random stories and hope for the best. <laughs> it's just a theory. <laughs> it's a theory. So since the stories changed across generations, as we looked at before. But with that said, let's have a look and see what we can discover about what the Sumerians believed regarding the creation of everything as interpreted and pieced together by various historians and scholars throughout history. I finally got to tell the story. The Sumerian creation epic begins with the primordial Ooh. mother goddess named Namu, who many suggest represents the creative force behind the entire universe itself. Why is her name she was the goddess sea who gives birth to the first actual gods. These are An and Ki, the sky and the earth, who are generally interpreted as being one being, Anki, though some interpretations say they began as two. At any rate, An <laughs> and Ki or Anki give birth to a child named Enlil, the god of the air. Enlil cleaves An and Ki in two, implying they were singular separating the heavens and the earth. So initially they were separate and then they came together. They had a child somehow and then the child cut them in half. It was like how some did, people believe them to be one, others believe them to be two, but they were cut in half. So if they were two, they become four. I don't know. Yeah, the, the, it just keeps duplicating. I, well, I can see four crusties. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm still, I'm still left with, with how did the first one was? How was the first one created? How was, how was? What's her name? Oh, Shaniqua. Uh, the, yeah, the spiritess god. Yeah, yeah. the spiritess god. I forgot, forgot her name. I can't hey, she they, really put, they need name badges like we have. Yeah, <laughs> in the corner there, in the corner here. There we go. There they are. She All right. <laughs> Finally, Namu and An create Enki, who is the god of water, and also the god of wisdom, mischief, crafts, and creation. Everyone else got one job, he gets like eight. <laughs> I like yeah, one of them crafts. It's crafts, crafts and creation. That's that's, that's right. you know, studying arts at university. I was gonna sticker mac books. Macaroni, yeah. Macaroni uh, artwork in his downtime. Do you want to see my scrapbook? <laughs> At this moment, I'd like to express there's some discrepancy regarding the order of this family tree. While Enlil is considered in most traditions to be the firstborn son of An, that watch we there. also see versions where Enki is the firstborn. Ultimately, it doesn't affect the story too much, but I felt it was relevant to express that here. Then why bring it up? <laughs> this pantheon then goes on to create a number of other gods and goddesses, such as Utu and Nana, the sun and the moon, and Inanna, the great goddess of heaven and earth. 
Inanna is a particularly interesting character in these ancient stories, at one point becoming the most venerated deity in the Sumerian pantheon. Wow. One of her parables, The Descent of Inanna, is considered a 5,500 year old literary masterpiece. And we'll come back around to this story later on in the Sumerian epic. Now, right. while there are a number the of parables epics. involving interactions between all of these deities and so many more gods who we're not even going to mention today, a great deal of the Sumerian creation epic revolves around these three original characters, An, Enlil, and Enki, who sort of form their own holy trinity in a sense. In these stories, eventually Namu has an idea and speaks with Enki, having him create human beings to assist the gods in their work. And other, perhaps even more common tellings of the story, it was Enlil's idea, who told Namu about it, who then gave Enki the task. This, in essence, is the basic idea of the original Sumerian creation epic. Due to the passing along of stories over time, and that many tablets are damaged, a lot of the details of this creation story we looked at remains a mystery. Now, you might be thinking, It's made up. It's made up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's missing parts, but it's made because up. You can sort of fill in the blanks. It's like a it's crappy, crappy, it's a crappy story. Someone, someone hasn't finished writing their story yet. Yeah, it's just it's just a made up. This is what they think things were created by. Like, you know, there was three gods and one of them told another god to tell another god to make humans to help the gods. That, that that's what happened. That that's the story so far. I'm I'm amazed. Do you remember <laughs> in the and the other one like in some of the uh, was it the uh, they they all grew up on like uh, what was that place called Atlantis? On yeah, that, on that yeah. planet. They said, "I want to see if that gets involved in this." What do you reckon, Kieran? What what are your odds on it being involved with Atlantis? I can't even remember fucking Atlantis. There was something <laughs> about Atlantis and some kind of like six thingy majigs. Yeah, do the yeah. the, the squirmy dobacky stuff. And I think God, I could be a bloody story writer. Listen, listen to yeah, me. You sound good. And Start writing it now. Start writing it now. And then Shaniqua came down uh, <laughs> as the god. Remember the Martians, the, the people, from, people from Mars that came down to Atlantis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they got on the pole. Um... <laughs> Atlantis sounds gay. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, Patch, I'm not sure I see the parallel between what you just shared and the Bible. Are you sure that these are related? And the answer is absolutely. No. However, in order to see how we get from this to this, we have to look at the stories in the middle and see how this chain develops from here to here. <laughs> the middle of the story between these two is found in the Babylonian creation epic of which a far more complete telling exists today. In this uh, the story, it relates Namu with the mother goddess named Tiamat and Enlil with a being named Marduk. However, as you Let's will soon see, there are significant differences in the way that these goddesses that are portrayed keep, in the literature. They just keep saying names just to confuse people. I think so. They're just There's introducing character after character after character. We're just like, oh, oh yeah, okay, okay. That doesn't. Like a, that, that makes sense. 
This is the Stephen King novel of uh, the E uh, of like ancient history. It's like, oh, let me just introduce four hundred characters, and right at the end of the book, they'll all get they'll all get uh, connected in some sort of possible way. <laughs> Where are these people's necks? That's a good question. Uh, I'll have to ask the ancient Sumerians when they do come out in there with their text. There, I think things are about to get very interesting. <laughs> I hope so. The Babylonian (laughs) epic of creation begins with the primordial god and goddess, Apsu and Tiamat. These two are described as the god of fresh water and the goddess of salt water, which is commonly interpreted to be not as physical water, but primordial substance in the early universe. What? However, Apsu is sometimes seen as... (laughs) What? I'm wearing I'm wearing a jumper, but it's not referred to as a jumper because it's referred to as this other fucking thing. It's not a jumper in the primordial ooze. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) It's the primordial ooze of a jumper. That's the that's the important one there. I like how they give the woman the salty water, like as well. (laughs) Even back then, they were making fun of them. freshwater aquifers underneath Mesopotamia, and Tiamat being the saltwater sea. In the story, Apsu also has a vizier, whose name is Mumu. (laughs) Together, Apsu and Tiamat mingle their waters, and they create two deities, Lamu and Lahamu. As they are growing, two more deities are created, Anshar and Kishar, who excelled beyond the first two. Anshar and Kishar form Anu, who is quite powerful himself who then begets Ea. Both Anu and Ea are the same beings as An and Enki from the previous story. All of these newly created children make a... T- <laughs> Kieran is so lost. Uh, me too. They just, they just keep bringing in new characters. Okay, so it seems like there's... I'm church, you're going to have to tell... This is So they had children, but then she also yeah. had more children, but the children that she had after uh, them actually grew faster or became stronger than the other children because they were crap. <laughs> but then they had yeah. other kids uh, but, uh, who become... What? But they're... So they're like, they had children, children had children. And I, I honestly don't know. Not... <laughs> and as Jess has just said, their names are Mavis and Brad. <laughs> Brad Mavis. Oh, it's no. like it's, it's it's sort of like it's, Italians, you know, Nick yeah. Nicholas. Nick, <laughs> That's Nick. Greeks. We've only got That's we've Greek. only got two names in Italian: Frank oh. and Maria. That's about it. Oh, oh, right there we go. Well, Frank, Mario. Franco. It seems like there's two ways that the initial gods, those like that initial god and the first thing, were created, and there's sort of just two ways there. Bob and Jane. <laughs> 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 ah, all right, let, let's continue on with this 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 whack pack here. Ton of noise and problems surging back and forth and disturbing Tiamat's belly. Even Apsu believes their behavior is loathsome. Apsu declares that he's going to destroy these children and end their annoying ways. Tiamat says, "No, don't do that. Be patient with our children," and is very upset that Apsu wants to kill them. Mumu, on the other hand, is very supportive and encouraging mm-hmm. of Apsu's plan. Wearing a Mumu. I'll swear a Mumu. 
These children find out about Apsu's intent. With fear of imminent death, the children go to one of their own, the resourceful Ia, who performs some magic so that Apsu drops into an eternal sleep, subduing all of his power and effectively killing him. Yeah. That magic is now a uh, scientific theory because at the start of the show, yeah. they talked about scientific theories. There's nothing and, in the uh, corner yet. I'm I'm looking at this corner looking for the references. And the I'd love to see the reference for magic. Reference for magic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They did put a Stephen yeah. King quote at the start, so it's a, a Stephen Hawking quote at the start. So it's all That's legit. right. <laughs> it might as well have been a Stephen King quote after all this. <laughs> and takes the throne of Apsu. He names his new king's chamber after Apsu. I don't think he literally <laughs> I'm taking this. <laughs> it's like, please take a seat. Oh, thank you, and walk out with a chair. Like, that, it's not, I don't know, okay. Welcome like to Game of Apsu. Thrones. It's, it's <laughs> Game, Game of Thrones is just people taking the chair. <laughs> it's a really uh, big game of... Um, of uh, 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 what's the what's the game where you sit on the chair? Yeah, uh, music, musical chairs. Yeah, it's a big game of musical chairs. <laughs> and it is here that he and his wife Damkina, who is often related with Key from the original Sumerian story, give birth oh, to a new god called Marduk. Marduk is a very interesting character, for it says that he was very manly with remarkable divinity. It also says that he had four eyes and four ears, and that he breathed fire when he moved his lips. Howdy. Anu gives Marduk something called the Four Winds as well, and by the power of the Four Winds, a wave of intention is sent towards Tiamat. Just the whole time I've wanted, wanted to say Marmaduke about this character. Look at this. Four ears. Four ears, and they Church. haven't even put one. <laughs> Church, can you give me the one? What's the one pager? What the fuck has happened so far? I, I know what. I'm a little bit confused now. <laughs> I'm gonna admit, I'm just looking at this Marmaduke character in front of me and hoping that it, the story just continues to... with him. How does it relate? Didn't to this all have something to do with like another planet that didn't exist? Yes. Like, I have no idea where they're going to connect this. <laughs> Uh, I'm hoping that something good comes. Uh, let's let's get it. To cause her upset and frustration. Soon after this, Tiamat is told by the gods that when her husband was slain, she did nothing, and now she too will be punished. The result of this is that Tiamat summons a small army of 11 monsters and dragons around her, who all had very curious names. There was Venomous Snake, the Big Weathered Beast, Exalted Serpent, Furious Snake, the Hairy One, Great Dragon, <laughs> the Hairy Lion, One, Scorpion oh, Man, Violent Storm, Fish Man, and Bull Man. <laughs> In- <laughs> fish Man. Go Fish Man. Go Fish Man. <laughs> This is like there's a meeting with uh, Stan Lee back in the seventies. All right, everybody, we need new superheroes. Need new superheroes. I and then some intern rocks in. I got it. Bull man, uh, snake one, the feathered one, fish man, 
Snagtoo. The hairy one. Fishman is like the the ripoff of Aquaman that like some small company makes. And that you see, it's, it's the Aquaman toy you see at the Queen Vic Market for two dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like League, instead of like you know Justice League, it's League of Strong People, and it's all like you know, there's a picture of Shrek. These are all those really cheap Pokemon toys that like your yeah. your your second uncle gives you. I feel like oh, if Aldi you- had toys, if Aldi had toys, these are the toys. For sure, for sure. Yeah. I, you know what? It's like uh, I'm gonna collect them all. I feel like I'll trade my <laughs> hair man for your bull. <laughs> <laughs> I'll trade you oh. for shoe. Let's see these super Pokemon. Let's go with these Pokemon. In addition to these eleven, there was also her consort Kingu who becomes the lead general of her army. Tiamat gives him something called the Tablet of Destinies. Can you imagine? Like, it's like, okay, we've got, uh, uh, I made you to lead my army. Great, what's my army? Hair man. <laughs> Snake <laughs> one and two. <laughs> the scorpion guy. <laughs> Here's a rock. <laughs> which is an object that confers upon the bearer the supreme authority as the ruler of the universe. Kingu advises that she destroy her... So she can just make that, and she doesn't give it to herself. <laughs> ...children, who seem to be clearly plotting against her, and in her sorrow for the loss of her husband and anger towards her children, she then becomes the antagonist in the story. In many interpretations of the tablets, Tiamat herself transforms into a great sea dragon. Ia speaks with Anshar and asks for advice. And Anshar basically says, Ia, you started it. You killed her husband and you made her really mad. Take responsibility for your actions. Talk to her. Hey, Try to help her calm down. Ia responds by explaining that he... Hey, Ia responds and said to her, Hey, lady, calm down. And that just antagonized her more. <laughs> hey, bitch. Shut up for a sec. Shut up for a sec. Where's my sandwich? Where's my Look, sandwich? Shitty army. Said. Look, your army's shit. I wouldn't even bring it over. Hold your horses. Oh. Didn't feel like he had much of a choice because all of them would be destroyed otherwise. But he takes Anshar's advice. Ia then attempts to speak with Tiamat, but retreats quickly, for her strength is too mighty, and she is filled with dread, unable to hear Ia's plea. Anshar then sends Anu to do the same. Anu does what his father asks, but finds Tiamat's magic too much for him, and retreats as well. It is soon realized that only one person can save the day, and so Ia summons Marduk to his chambers, and asks him to go and see Anshar. When Marduk sees Anshar, Marduk understands what is needed of him and agrees to put an end to Tiamat's rampage. But in exchange, he asks that he be named the King of the Gods when it is done. Anshar sends his vizier, whose name is Gaga, off to inform Lamu and Lahani of this development, who summon a council of gods, and over beer and pastries they discuss and agree (laughs) to Marduk's request. (laughs) Kieran, are you sure you didn't write this? 
<laughs> over beer and pastries. Now we're talking. You've got my attention. The next, if the next line is about how much legroom they had at the, the film, at the point, I don't think you actually like this. <laughs> and so Marduk prepares for war. Marduk arms himself with a number of weapons, a net, a bow with some arrows, a club, and in addition to his four winds, also creates three more. The evil wind, the dust storm. So he's a god and he takes a bow and arrow and a club. I mean, if we're going to talk about worst way to prepare yourself for a war as a deity, I would say going, you know what's really good? A nice heavy piece of wood. <laughs> Give me that surgical two by four. Let's let's really show it to this other guy. Yeah. Is this before or after they created Earth? Uh, I I don't know. Uh, th this is a really bad timeline because they've talked about two different ways to get to the same point without giving this us a reference the middle. point. This is the middle. Don't you remember? This is the glue that holds the story together. Right. Uh, that's where we. Like, this is not a. <laughs> It's it's like they're they're creating like a world or something, but yet he's got tools like wood and a bow and arrow that you could really only get from that world that's not yet created. Very true. This is if, if this is the middle, Kieran as well. This is like the worst Tarantino film ever. Like they've started in the middle, introduced all these characters. We don't like any of them yet, and already they're fighting. But it's like who cares? If anyone believes this. You're an idiot. <laughs> like At least starting. it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> and the Tempest. He also brings with him the Storm Flood, his mightiest weapon. And he rode a chariot of irresistible storm, which were pulled by four steeds. The Destroyer, the Merciless, the Trampler, and the Fleet. Oh, horse one. Horse As he two. approached Tiamat, Marduk observed Kinu and his shining Tablet of Destinies. As Marduk looked, his determination fell, and he faltered. Many of his divine aides who were marching at his side saw the warrior, and their vision went dim. How could they even stand a chance? Okay. Summoning his courage, Marduk hurls the storm flood at Tiamat and yells something to the effect of, Tiamat, why are you aggressive and arrogant and strive to provoke battle? Against all of the gods, you have stirred up and established trouble. Ah, yes. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Look at Fishman. <laughs> Fishman fish is the artwork you get on the side of a fish chip shop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I like Hairball over here on the right, on the left-hand side under Charizard. <laughs> Who's the one who's, who's yawning? Egg, who's the egg guy with the bald head? <laughs> egg boy. They all they all need those egg like man. name badges. They all need name badges. Like, and like, I my name is <laughs> Snake One and Snake Two are there, so you know <laughs> same hands. If if I was at a birthday party, these would be very good because I could be like, oh, you're you a uh, fish man. I know, I, I get it. You're <laughs> you green, it. dude. You're hairy blob. <laughs> Deploy your troops. Secure your weapons. You and I will take our stand 
and do battle. When Tiamat heard this, she went insane. A great celestial battle commenced. When Marduk gets close enough to Tiamat, he first traps her in his net. Then he shoots the evil wind at her face, who opens her mouth to swallow it, but she is unable to, and it holds her. He catches her in net and farts at her. Got it. Got it. Got it. That's all good so far. Her mouth open. He then shoots an arrow into her belly, which cuts through her insides and extinguishes her life. That's brutal. Marduk then binds up her small army, who are now cowering in fear, and retrieves the Tablet of Destinies from Kingu. Then he returns to Tiamat, and with his merciless club, crushes her head, and then cuts her in two. Half of her he body is used to horse. create the earth, and the other half is used to create the heavens. What? We clocked her with material you could open the earth before they created it. <laughs> and that's, that's job the well done. Job how done. Did you, how did you get the woods to that club? Uh, space tree. <laughs> <laughs> that was the longest build-up, like the li biggest anti-climax ever. <laughs> they could have just gone, um, there was someone who shot a flame into a dragon and yeah. cut it through, and that was the Earth. That's it. But we have, oh. more, we have, we have more characters than fucking neighbours. <laughs> They've been edging us for 23 minutes, and right at the end, it's like the weakest ever cum shot you've ever seen in your life. Someone get the stunt cock. <laughs> All right, here we go. He looks like he's going to be king now because that's what he said. His crown. The final king, king of Star Wars. He positions 600 gods on the earth and 300 in the heavens. And the city of Babylon is created in his honor, and the other gods praise him. Marduk conceives a desire to accomplish clever things, and he announces that using divine blood, he will create a new being called man who will continue the work of the gods so that they may all rest and be peaceful. Ea proposes that one of Tiamat's defeated warrior gods be used for the blood. And so Marduk asks the gods who caused Tiamat to rebel and instigate warfare. The gods respond that it was Kingu. And so they bring him forth, bound it up and slay him. Kingu's blood is then mixed with clay from the earth. And with this mixture, Ea and his wife, the birth goddess, created humans. Ea doesn't yep. want to make them exactly as the gods, but gives them many abilities and traits, but withholds immortality. On them, Marduk imposes labor, commanding- That's it. The only thing he gets rid of is immortality. So the magic powers, the all that sort of stuff, all good, but just immortality out the window. I'm very, very, very pleased. I'm actually going like, what, what, what's more believable, this or like the whole apple story that a snake gave them an apple? I, oh, I'm I'm fun. I'm really shattered. I didn't learn this when I was at a religious school. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I reckon I would have been. Like, I don't even know what I don't even know what they're called. What is this called? Sumerian epics. What's what's the what's the religion called that they're trying to peddle? 
I don't know. But it's good no, fun. I really, want, really want one of those washcloths I was saying at the start. Serve <laughs> <sighs> the gods by their work in the fields and cities and provide offerings and worship regularly. Our story comes to a grand finale and ends with Marduk being given 50 names by which he can be worshipped and reminding More people that against Marduk, no one else can face him, for he is the supreme ruler of the universe. Now, wow. the story we just oh, looked at no. is written down in exceptional detail in a series of tablets called the Enuma Elish, of which several main translations are available online, for anyone out there who is curious to read them. The story begins in a very similar way to the Sumerian edition that we discussed prior, with Namu. However, the Enuma Elish expands upon it further, taking the story into one of a terrifying battle and the rise of a new, very strong masculine power. Throughout history, this story gained prominence in Babylon, and as we heard in the story itself, is used to explain how Babylon came to be. Eventually, this story even influenced the creation of the Bible. Now, you might be thinking, hold up, there is no way that there's this epic battle in the Bible. However, in Psalm 74, in the midst of God ordering the sea and the dry land, establishing the sun, the moon, the stars, and the seasons, He's also destroying sea monsters. Yet God, my king, is from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of the Leviathan, and you gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. da -da. Sure enough, it's airtight. <laughs> you killed the sea monster, so that means the Sumerian stuff is all all the same. We got it. Great. What How did a... I know which one was first? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I'll, we'll have to ask the Jews. I think. I think the Jews are the the source on this one. This is just, this is just, okay. So when do we get to celebrate their public holidays? <laughs> I think Marduk will get a whole week at least because he's the, he's the supreme leader of all of them. He killed one, half one, one for months. each eye and one for each ear. I feel like, I feel like there's a number of public holidays we're missing. The, the, the uh, holiday of Mac maximum occupancy. Occupancy, <laughs> Holiday of Hairman. <laughs> oh, look. Um, snake one National and two or, or nothing. <laughs> and they're not sharing a public holiday. You can have a public holiday next <laughs> snake one and then snake two. Oh, your it's favorite song. Ariaga. Ariaga two. <laughs> Fighting sea dragons. Right there in the Bible. We can also see a rather curious correlation to the Bible by the fact that Marduk is given 50 holy names, many of which follow a similar naming convention by the names of God found in the Bible. For example, where in Hebrew it goes Yahweh, and then Yahweh Jireh, Yahweh Rapha, Yahweh Nisi, and so on, Marduk's 50 names also give him a title, and then continue to expand upon it several times before repeating this pattern with another title, such as 
tutu, tutu ziokina, tutu ziku, tutu agaku, and so on. Ultimately, the question remains, what does it all mean? And what does it have to do with us? Why do we care? Now, previously we looked at various possible interpretations of the title gods as either planets, people, or forces of nature. When looking into the ancient Sumerian and Babylonian records, the honest truth is that today, we don't really understand exactly what they were referring to, although there are some popular theories about it. To most in the academic world, this story is an allegory for the formation of the universe from the primordial substance of creation. It is seen as a triumph of order over chaos and light over darkness. It has been observed as a parable of the rise of Babylon in Babylonian culture over the older Sumerian model of civilization. Yeah, I, I think order easily of that's chaos? just the most logical idea of what this story is. It's just a parable. It's just a story. It's it's a yeah. it's a, it's not truth. <laughs> like, but they, they do realize. At the start, they've tried to say that it's what, like, they've tried to say that it's fact at the start. Yeah. It's it's just a story. It's like the, the, the rainbow serpent. It's, yes. yeah, it's the exact same. It's a, it's a story. Amazing. Okay. I want to find it. How does this, what? Yes, yes, I, Further, I'm lost this too. tale can be understood as an illustration of the concept of life as perpetual change. In this myth, the old static gods in the story are replaced by the younger, more dynamic gods who then introduced the concept of change and mutability to the universe through the creation of mortal beings who are subject to death. It's if like Harry and case... Megan. <laughs> I get it. I get it. If the, if the, if, Out if with the old, in with the new. This is just a create another creation story. So this, they, they don't they don't believe in the Big Bang. Then they believe like history started whenever the Sumerians were like six thousand years ago. According to this yeah. story. Uh, no, what what religion does believe in the Big Bang? Uh, Christian scientists? <laughs> Scientology? That's not a religion, though, is it? What Scientology believes in? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. There's only one Tom Cruise. <laughs> These creatures are tasked with helping the gods maintain their creation, and so, although they themselves are not eternal, they play an integral role in the work of the gods. Other scholars who interpret these stories in a more metaphorical way suggest that the great celestial battle is actually explaining original sin in a different form than we're familiar with, because humans are created from the blood of the slain Kingu, who was the chief warrior for Tiamat, representing primordial chaos and a force of powerful evil. Because of this, humans have the capacity for evil and this story was one of the ways that early humanity made sense of this. And personally, we also see a huge correlation between this story and the Kabbalistic tree of life. In the beginning, there was Apsu and Tiamat, who, if we correlate the stories together, emerged from Namu. Then we have the creation of six deities in pairs of two, which creates what? these paired opposites along the left and right side of the tree, 
bringing us to the bottom. In the resulting struggle for the rulership and harmonization of the entire tree, or the totality of creation, Marduk wins, creating the center of Tiferet. What? Further, there are a number of other ways well, we could position these characters in relationship to the tree, such as putting Apsu at the top and Tiamat at the bottom, since she is the earth after all, and all of the other gods being created between them. This is, of course, just a curious musing. It's just a spreadsheet. Just you can move, you know, it's like a window, it's like a Microsoft graph type thing. Of course, we can also change it this way and it still makes sense. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a business meeting and it's like, this is what our structure could look like if we go with this model. But if we don't want to go with that model, we can go with model number two. <laughs> May I present the pyramid? The pyramid. <laughs> the trapezoid. Of ours, but a very interesting correlation nonetheless. Now, this may very well be the end of the story that these ancient myths are steeped in metaphors and ideas which reflect human consciousness. And that's that. However, in the last 50 years or so, a different idea about what the story meant came to light. This new telling suggested that, in fact, the story was a bit of a secret code, a story with clues alluding to something that really happened in history. This story has planetary collisions, alien spacemen, and so much more. When this telling came out, it became one of the first times that the world truly took an interest in these tablets. And this story only came about because a young boy became obsessed with a burning question. In the early 90s... Okay, if they say Zachariah Sitchin, we know it's bullshit because Zachariah Sitchin was just a, a, like a, a, a journalist slash science fiction novel writer. Okay. 1920s, a young boy named Zechariah Sitchin found himself. <laughs> Every fucking time. This is all they ever focus on. They always focus on him. Always. Right. I'm going to go to the Wikipedia. And just let you know. Tetch. Unfucking believable. Oh, uh, I. I. I've watched so much Ancient Aliens and I just know exactly what they're going to say all the time. Here we go. Zachariah Sitchin... Uh, yeah, I'll put it out here. Uh, was an author of books proposing the explanation for human origins involving ancient astronauts. Sitchin attributed the creation of ancient Sumerian culture to the Anunnaki side of the race of extraterrestrials from a planet beyond Neptune called Nibiru. He asserted that Sumerian mythology suggests that the historic uh, hypothetical planet of Nibiru is an elongated 3,006-year-long elliptical orbit around the sun. Sitchin books have sold millions and have been transcribed into a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, yeah, so this is going to be his story, his interpretation of that story. Self in school, listening to his teacher reading from the Bible. It was in Genesis 6 that he heard his teacher say, There were giants on the earth in those days. To which Zechariah raised his hand and asked, Um, why do you say giants? The older Hebrew says Nephilim. Who are the Nephilim? His teacher replied, 
Sit down, Zechariah. You do not question the Bible. And so it began. Who are the Nephilim? became this burning, obsessive question in the mind of this young, inspired boy. Following his experience with his teacher, Zechariah realized that he had full faith in the Bible all along. What he was questioning was the translation of the Bible and the individual interpretations of that translation. Not being able to ask his teachers for help, he decided to take matters into his own hands. Growing up, he searched for answers and soon learned about the discovery of the Sumerian tablets. It was here that Zechariah found the origins of the Old Testament, along with a large volume of supporting works that had never made it into the official release of the Bible. He realized in order to understand the answer to this question of the <laughs> Nephilim, he would have to learn Sumerian cuneiform. This began Zechariah's lifelong journey of dedication to reading and deciphering the meaning within the texts and the answer to the question, who are the Nephilim? Okay, I'm going to put it out there. Yeah. I know this for a fact. He never actually learned to translate anything and he's the only person to interpret those documents or those Sumerian records in the way that he did. This is like if everyone, like a thousand people read a sentence and like, this is what it means. And they all said basically the same thing. And then he comes on and goes, but it was actually the aliens. That's how crazily different he did everything. It's like, it's like Joseph Smith and the list. Yeah. Only I can read them and interpret them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then he has to do it another way and he interprets it completely different. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could interpret them if you wanted me to do it. Oh, that would come up very differently. <laughs> It'd be very Finally, exciting. This is how Kieran starts his own religion. <laughs> hey, we should actually take the We Only Do One Take podcast and turn it into religion to avoid I'm trying cats. my best. Yeah. I'm trying my best. I think we need about 1,500 people In 1976, people Sitchin released his first book, The Twelfth Planet, which shocked the world with what he had found in his years with the tablets and began bringing people together around a new idea of Earth's history. By 1998, he had completed the Earth Chronicles with The Cosmic Code and then released numerous other books all the way up to his passing away in 2010. To him, he was overcome with an interpretation of the tablets that he believed was attempting to explain a series of actual physical events that took place in our history and explain the reason that things are the way they are in our solar system and on Okay, I'll tell you a few things about Zachariah Sitchin's books. One, he believes the gods made humans to mine gold because the mm. gods were actually aliens and they needed gold for their atmosphere. Yes, we can get cool robes if we start a, we start a religion, so, Ethan. So, a re so an ancient alien race came from a planet who had gold in their atmosphere to a planet with where gold is a finite... Uh, very hard to find rare resource and made humans to mine gold for them so they could bring it back to their planet for their atmosphere. That's what he actually believes. Makes sense. Yeah, Makes sense. Agree. Yeah. <laughs> On our planet today. Of course, many critics have put forth that Sitchin, while he may have laid a lot of groundwork here for the discussion of the tablets, also added and embellished the story quite a bit with his own theories oh, yeah. and ideas 
sometimes drawing conclusions that others were not able to find written in the ancient tablets. Nevertheless, following Sitchin's interpretations, we find several remarkable correlations both within our solar system, on our planet, and even in our very own DNA, which simply cannot be ignored. As always, please have your own experience as we go through this story. Even if you don't believe this to be historical fact, you may enjoy it for the fascinating tale that it is. Now, let us explore one of the most unique interpretations of this great celestial battle and truly see if it stands up to scientific scrutiny today. All right. In order to Challenge discuss this theory, we begin by exploring how a solar system is formed. There's still a lot of mysteries in science as to how solar systems come to be. And today, there are two primary models we're going to look at. The first that we'll be going over is the current standard model, which is the general consensus in most scientific circles today. After that, we'll be looking at the electric universe theory, which puts forth a different interpretation about how solar systems form, and a very interesting one at that. Starting with the standard model, today it's believed that a star is born in the vastness of the arms of a galaxy, when a large collection of cosmic dust and gas becomes compressed by gravity into a singular point. Made of increasingly compressed dust and gas, it begins to emit a massive amount of light and heat and ends up creating a large disk spiraling all around it. Deep inside the cloudy disk, clumps of dust are flash heated into droplets of molten rock, the building blocks of the solar system. As they spiral around the forming star, these clumps of matter begin to merge together and grow into larger and larger bodies, which form the basis of asteroids and planets. Sometime during this development, the protostar undergoes fusion and ignites itself into a baby star, which emits a tremendous amount of something called solar wind, blasting away the dusty cloud, leaving behind only the solid and denser matter, which continues to merge and form together into planets until they become the celestial bodies of a solar system. One curious thing... How do gas giants form then? Church. They just yeah. sort of, you know, explode <laughs> like, and I'm not a scientist, and, and but I... Yeah, that, that, it's as simple as that. Chuck them all in a blender and suddenly there's a universe. <laughs> yeah. We should mention is that there is a great the mystery about how our watery planet got here. Because in the early formation of the solar system, I know how the watery planet got there. Too hot the for water to not evaporate and get blasted out with the dust by the solar wind. One of the leading theories about how we could have got all of this water is by flying space rocks called carbonaceous chondrites, which can carry uh, water on them and crash down to the planet. Of course. Why did we have to listen to the dragon story if we've now got another <laughs> idea about how the world, world and this Nabaru or this Shabaru or this Dabaru or whatever we're, we're watching? I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> why, why is there now a contradiction? It, yeah, none of the other stuff makes sense now if this is the way it is. It's like they're just confusing people to try and believe it. It's we've, so we've confusing that it must be true. Kieran and I have been doing this conspiracy stuff for a while. We even had that conspiracy theory guy on the show. And we're very much finding that that is the case. They, 
conspiracy theorists will talk about such a broad spectrum of things and classify it under one category and just hope that you don't like you get so confuddled with the amount of stuff that they're talking about that you don't question it. It's like you just you just get too tired of trying to argue against it. You just be like, yeah, all right, whatever. Yeah. And so, like, even when we had the flat earth guy on, one of the big things was just making him talk slowly and explain (laughs) each little step. And as soon as he started to explain the little steps, he started to collapse. And I think that's what, like, this here, they're just doing these big sweeping things, you know, into this conspiracy stuff. And it's Mm. so broad and so large and sweeping that there's no actual meat, you know. Where's the meat? Where's the beef? Church, church, and trudge. I, mm. I think we need to address the the. Well, it's not really the elephant in the room, but the the really important thing. If we're going to start a religion and have robes, what color robe would you like? Oh, purple. Purple. Okay. I'm going to go gold because I'm going to be I'm going to be emperor. Wow. Nice. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to go if I if I'm allowed in. I'm going to go red. Red. I don't I'm know why. This. Okay. All right. Are I you going like, to be Fishman as well? I'm, you need I'm, a title. I'm definitely going to be Fishman. You need like you know you need like this this um you know the, this title like um uh, chairman of food and beverage. This is our leader, the chairman of food and beverage. <laughs> It's like the equivalent of the Pope in our religion. <laughs> the yeah. chairman of of beer and pastry. Ah, <laughs> yes. Oh, this religion gets better and better every time we talk about it. <laughs> uh, Kira can start writing up the mythology of our of our religion. Well, you know, and you, what the trick is to create four hundred different characters that are interlinked but not interlinked at all. Yeah, and that only I can read and understand. <laughs> so yeah. It happens to be in this book, but you guys can't read this book. So let me just read it to you. Um, uh, how about we try to smash through another five to ten minutes of this and we save it for next week's uh, show. Planet. This, however, still leaves many questions for us to answer. Because if this is the case, why don't we see the same amount of water anywhere else in the solar system? Except, of course, in the asteroid belt. At any rate, the reason why this conversation is important is because in Sitchin's theory of the Sumerian tablets, the story begins in the very early days of our solar system. The opening lines of the Enuma Elish begin, When the heavens above did not exist, and earth beneath had not come into being, there was Apsu, the first in order, their begetter. At least they're not flat Most earth, commonly, Apsu is interpreted by scholars as the god of fresh water, believing him to relate with underwater aquifers under the surface of Mesopotamia. Sitchin, on the other hand, believed this line to be describing the sun, the first in order, begetter of them all. <laughs> so everyone else, water. everyone else says definitely water god, definitely the underwater water god, fresh water, this that, and he's like, incorrect. <laughs> and 180. What is the what, goes, is, what is something close? You guys were close. 
but it's actually the complete opposite. Complete opposite. <laughs> it's actually the sun, the hottest thing in the fucking universe, and that's what it is. Amazing. That's some balls. That is what hundred percent balls right there. Wrong. <laughs> oh. Mumu, Apsu's vizier, was Mercury, a small body of matter orbiting very close to the bright star. And of course, there was the beautiful goddess called Tiamat, the glistening one, the maiden of life, which was the planet that eventually became the Earth. However, in the beginning, it was not the same as we know our Earth to be today. Tiamat was a particularly special planet, for it was entirely covered with water the only planet like it in the solar system. It was also quite a bit larger than the Earth is today, approximately the size of Neptune, and it had a different orbit as well. It was a little bit further from the Sun, in an orbit that we would locate where the asteroid belt is today, between Mars and Jupiter. Regarding the formation of Tiamat, observations of interstellar clouds and other basic sciences show that hydrogen and oxygen the building blocks of water are some of the most abundant elements in the universe. And so it would make sense that as the solar system was forming, there was likely tons of water ice, or at least hydrogen and oxygen, that was getting pulled in from all directions, colliding together, and forming into what was likely a rather large field of water ice and other debris, which may have even been partially liquid, solid, and gaseous all at the same time spinning around in a fury of deadly winds and storm. In a document titled Origin of Water Ice in the Solar System, a scientist of the Lunar and Planetary Laboratory explains that the origin of water ice during planetary formation comes from at least two sources. It condenses beyond a certain distance from the proto-sun, no more that than five astronomical scientific units. scientific journal article. That is the first scientific yeah. journal article shown. And they well didn't done. even give us a reference in the corner. No. <laughs> About what, an hour, almost an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what I like about this, they haven't given us a reference, which is fine, right? But, Kieran, how about you explain the ranking system of where a, a journal, a public, an article that you write, like in, in scientific journals, there's a hierarchy, isn't there? Yeah, there's a thing called like an, uh, not to bore you to death, but it's called an impact factor, right? And basically what it is is the more other researchers cite your work in academic literature, the higher the the, the, the publication, the journal where these are, are published in, like the Journal of Science or the Journal of Water or whatever it is, right? goes up the journal of nature has like an impact factor of something like 30 or 40 or 50 yeah. which is huge yeah um anything above one is considered acceptable okay right so, so one so is most, just most most are between one and three and then if you manage to publish in like the journal of nature with like an impact factor of somewhere between 30 and 50 you publish once you retire you've got tenure you walk away right yeah like that's the highest quality uh, you know work can you ever get a zero? Oh yeah, you could just we could just create a journal company thing tomorrow, and we would have zero. Great. So this journal here, unless they cite something, could just be worth nothing. <laughs> it could be. It could literally be nothing. 
Yeah. And there are journals out there that are like journal of, you know how there's like these, these um, academies of like uh, the alternative, like doctor science. Yeah. So they're called like the, the, yeah, there's journals like, it's just like the journal, the journal of physicians of the Academy of Yorkshire. Yeah. Right. Which just means that they're like anti-vaxxers. Yeah. Yeah. And they have a pay to play model. Yeah, this this impact factor of of like yeah point zero zero one. Yeah, it's like a yeah. pay to play model. Like I just yeah. want to get my journal published. I'll pay. For oh yeah, you and I'll, I'll pay get... pay you to publish it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It could easily be something like that. So until we get any of that other information, this is like completely invalid. <laughs> yeah. But perhaps as close as two, and it falls in from the surrounding molecular cloud. This is especially interesting to us as it relates with our theory, because the asteroid belt is 2.2 to 3.2 AU away from the Sun, which is where Tiamat was said to be, according to this story. This will also make more sense by the time we conclude our exploration of this theory. Returning to the Babylonian epic, Sitchin goes on to explain that the formation of the following six deities in pairs of two describe the formation of the other planets in our solar system out of the early debris that spiraled around the sun. The first, for example, Lamu and Lahamu, are believed to describe Mars and Venus. Curiously, the names Lamu and Lahamu etymologically derive from the Sumerian word for war. Sitchin explains that the Mesopotamians knew Mars to be the god of war, and Venus was the god of love and war. And so the concept that Lamu and Lahamu were Mars and Venus fit both mythologically and etymologically. Then Kishar and Anshar form, who are said to surpass or excel beyond Lamu and Lahamu. These were, of course, Jupiter and Saturn. Of course! The Babylonians make a special note to describe that Anshar had a firstborn emissary or vizier named Gaga, which is believed to be a particular moon of Saturn which would one day become Pluto. And we'll look at how that happens momentarily. After that, we have our final two deities coming into being, Anu and Ea. Anu is said to represent Uranus and Ea, Neptune. These two are also- Isn't he just lucky when he discovered all this and it was like the 1950s or 1960s, whenever he released his books. And we just happened to know about all these planets at this point in time. Did they say that Pluto was a moon of Saturn? Yes. Isn't it a bit bit far away to be a moon? I would think so, because we only saw Pluto like 50 or 60 years ago, I think. That was the first time we saw it. In the 1930s. But it's it's not close. It's not in like, you know, it's not close enough to Saturn. Like to be a moon. And Saturn's got many moons. Yes. Yes. Maybe we'll find out. <laughs> Known by other names, An and Enki, from the original Sumerian telling of the story. Oh, I back find it extremely curious that Neptune is also a name for the god of the sea in Roman mythology, synonymous with the Greek Poseidon. It's curious because Ea, or Enki in Mesopotamia, was firstly called the god of water. It's also curious that the planet Neptune wasn't actually even discovered until 1846. Hmm. Now, the way that... Yeah, but this is what I was just saying, right? Yes, Neptune wasn't discovered till 1846, right? 
great, perfect. Let's use that as a base point. But Sitchin wrote his books in the 1950s. So he would have known about Neptune and just gone, hey, this fits really well. Let's continue on with the story. You know. Interpreted the story is that in those early days of the solar system, the orbits of the planets were not established or harmonious yet. As the tablets tell us, they surged back and forth and disturbed Tiamat's belly. Sitchin writes, the newly created family of planets was far from being stable. The- okay, another thing I hate, right? They've obviously got a quote. This is a quote from Sitchin's book. Mm-hmm. Perfect. You know what it would be a great thing to do right now? Put the where they got the quote, which book and what page in the top right-hand corner there. And you know what they fucking haven't done? They've they not put it in the that. corner. The planets were gravitating towards each other. They were converging on Tiamat, disturbing and endangering the primordial bodies. We have here obvious references to erratic orbits. The new planets surged back and forth. They got close to each other. They interfered with Tiamat's orbit. While it was Tiamat that was principally endangered, Apsu too found the planet's ways loathsome. The tablets describe that Apsu, caring for Tiamat, expresses the idea of destroying the children. This part is curious when relating it with planets. Perhaps it refers to the young star emitting blasts of radiation, which could potentially destroy these young planets completely, or at least send them flying off into space. During this part of the story, and what follows next with the death of Apsu, Sijin theorized several ideas, with the basic premise being that something whether relating with Ea, the planet Neptune emitting waves of radiation, or even just time itself, caused the sun to settle its turbulent energy. Nevertheless, it's interesting that after this point, Apsu is no longer referred to as a deity, but rather a location. Ea is said to claim Apsu's throne, and as he lay in his quarters, he names them Apsu. This act in the story could be referring to the sun's radiation and cosmic wind, which had now finally settled. It's not entirely clear, but generally the interpretations of this scene describe a shift in the early solar system, where now any new planets to come into the system had to come from the outside, of which Neptune was sort of like a gatekeeper for, being at the outermost edge of the solar system. Therefore, Ea took over the role of Apsu. As far as the story goes, this is where we see the older deities beginning to be taken over by the younger ones. And that's exactly what happens. Because shortly after this, Ea gives birth to Marduk, and Tiamat grows angry towards her children. Marduk, as you might have guessed, was interpreted to be a new planet that entered into our solar system from the outside. To avoid confusion, let me briefly mention that in Sitchin's interpretations, Marduk, especially when referring to it as a planet, is commonly known by the name Nibiru, which has become a rather popular name in recent years for a supposed missing planet, which is said to exist in the far reaches of our solar system. However, the word Nibiru in the ancient tablets is written about in a number of ways. It's a word used to sometimes describe a planet, usually Jupiter and one time Mercury, It's used to describe a god, specifically Marduk, which could be a planet. It's also used to describe a star in the sky, specifically 
So it could be anything. It just could yeah. be anything. It could. It could be this. It's also uh, a brand of Cadbury chocolate bars. It's a, <laughs> it's a type of flavor of chips, and it's actually a really rare fruit found in the Amazonian rainforest. So it really, it really could be any of those choices. But what we like to interpret it as is a secret planet that NASA is actually hiding from us. That's that's the one that I think out of all of the choices that we have, I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> it's like it's, his his story is like it, it, it's close because okay, he's all the planets and all the different characters of the planets. But then someone brought up, it's like oh, but there's what about this character? And it's like oh, well, there must be another planet. That's it. Uh, easy. How easy is that? And that was the most important one, but it only comes around a little bit. <laughs> but we can find planets in other galaxies and everything, yeah. and other solar systems, but we can't find this one. I don't. Yeah, that's it's it's you, uh, you can take a photo of a fucking black hole that's <laughs> however many light years away, but you can't find this planet. Didn't they just like take new photos of like the Orion? stars and stuff like that like they're like 15 like light years away which is the furthest of oh maybe furthest that, something crazy like that yeah. of like galaxies that are like ages away like yeah yeah and this is this is in our solar system and we can't find it like come on ridiculous gentlemen we are about halfway through this this lovely Excellent. uh ex book wow i was thinking maybe we we wrap it up and we continue this next sunday for more excitement to really, yeah, I'm not sure this really works out on the flat earth model. I bet you I can find a video of these guys talking about how the earth might be flat. I reckon there's oh, something please. like that. You know? Yes. Um, but for now, I think we're going to wrap this one up. I'd like to thank the trash for coming on the show and enjoying some crazy conspiracy theories. Is this as crazy as you thought it would be? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's just been a complete clusterfuck of just information. <laughs> but oh, I, I'm I think I think part two is going to be even better because I think we're going to get to the the new Buru is starting to make them. Uh, um, you know, it's getting there. It's getting there. It's getting yeah. there, and oh. I think it's going to be even better. So definitely That's next week we'll have to continue. Nice Absolutely, again, Kieran. Thank you so much for uh, helping me out make sense of this crazy, crazy. Uh, Sumerian world that we live in. It's uh, it's always a pleasure. Always Excellent. A pleasure. And ladies, you know, thank you all so much. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. I know shilling it all out, but and obviously follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Dog Spotify. Dog coin, gonna get some of that's been going up. People yeah. buy your dog. People buy your dog, and we will <laughs> see you all next Sunday for more conspiracy theories. See you later, everybody. Bye. Bye.